Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'sCatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Thursday, June 2nd. Coming up, wind energy is a more sustainable alternative to burning fossil fuels. But the wind industry is now facing a new challenge, how to handle massive turbine blades at the end of their lifespan. You can make a park bench out of it or turn it into a swing set or, or something like that, but you can only do that so many times. We'll hear how a Missouri recycling plant is tackling this problem. Plus, what it's like to be a rural foster parent in Kansas. But first, some headlines. Tenants facing eviction in Kansas City can now get a free lawyer to represent them in court. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal has more. Tenants can now fill out an online form or call a hotline number to get access to free legal representation, regardless of their income. The program's launch comes six months after the Kansas City Council passed a law guaranteeing tenants access to lawyers in eviction court. Gina Kiala is an attorney at the Heartland Center and says eviction court will now look different. I'm going to be handing tenants this flyer. It says, are you a Kansas City resident? Are you facing eviction? Because if you do, you have a right to a free lawyer. Kansas City is the 13th city in the country with the right to counsel program for tenants. A federal appeals court has ruled that a Kansas City police officer who fatally shot a young black man is entitled to immunity from a wrongful death lawsuit brought by the victim's family. KCUR's Peggy Lowe has more. The 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals said that even though Officer William Thompson had, quote, been negligent at most when he killed 24-year-old Ryan Stokes, he didn't violate his rights. That means Thompson is covered by qualified immunity, which protects government officials from lawsuits. Stokes' family sued the department after the 24-year-old was shot and killed in the Power and Light District in 2013. Stokes had been falsely accused of stealing a cell phone and was shot in the back while complying with officers' orders. On Wednesday, Ryan's mother, Nareen Stokes, said the decision was a blow and that she's hurt and angry. More than half the counties in Kansas have fewer than 10 licensed foster families. That reduces the likelihood that foster children are placed near their original homes. Blaze Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports finding and being a foster parent is hard, but being in rural Kansas adds its own challenges. Rebecca Appleby is moving for work. She has a few priorities for her next home. The bare minimum for me, I, I have to have at least three bedrooms. I would love more than one bathroom because right now... The foster parent from Liberal, Kansas, is one of only nine in her county. That could drop to eight once she moves. Replacing foster parents is not easy. And the kids definitely want a dog, um, so I know that that's going to be a little bit of a problem, but... Um, just Applebee's children have their own wish list. They hate washing dishes. It is the worst thing for them. They want a dishwasher so bad. And I always joke, like, well, I've got two dishwashers, you and you. They don't like that. Finding foster parents is hard. The distinct challenges of rural Kansas make recruiting families there difficult. Losing one parent will not destroy the system, but it can take over a year to find another family willing to take in kids in crisis. Rural foster parents can also feel overwhelmed and left out. Appleby remembers a trampoline park was rented out for foster kids to attend for free. But that was in Wichita, over three hours away. 
Appleby does not have friends in foster care and is raising her kids alone. Especially being a single parent raising two teenagers, it's very isolating. Rural families may also lack access to nearby affordable housing, medical care, or child care. Appleby drives hours for her children's doctor's appointments, school, or family visits. It's a hassle all rural families know, but foster families have more appointments, more deadlines, and legal requirements most families don't. Appleby's schedule is busy, and rural foster families have far fewer options that might give them a day off when compared to people in larger cities. It's exhausting, uh, and being in a rural location, sometimes we don't get the answers that we want, um, and it's not just for lack of trying, it's because of lack of resources, um, lack of something local. The agency that places foster families has a support group that meets monthly, but it is also in Garden City. There's additional driving for mandated visits with biological families or other travel required for foster folks. Bradford Wiles with K-State studies early childhood development. He says Kansans who can't get reliable Wi-Fi or affordable housing may not want children and would not consider foster care. We find that, that rural communities, in particular rural families uh, who are low income, struggle much more uh, as a result of the lack of formal services. Wiles said rural Kansas could be more appealing if families could find cheaper rent, more easily work in that area, or find other things that would tempt people from urban areas to go to smaller towns. Roughly 60 counties in the state have 10 or fewer licensed foster homes. About 11 of those counties have only one licensed foster home. After Appleby moves, Seward County could be left with just eight foster families. That's not enough for the children needing homes. It's tough to recruit foster parents in general. Foster parenting is a hard job. That's Lainey Uphoff from foster care contractor TFI Family Services. It definitely feels less isolating when we have multiple foster parents in an area. Uphoff's agency serves rural parts of the state and strategically places caseworkers across Kansas. Foster agencies say they have to be creative in how they support rural families. That means state agencies partnering with churches to offer temporary child care, home-cooked meals, or even weekend events for kids. Parenting in general and foster parenting takes a village. Back in Rebecca Appleby's foster home, she is excited about her new job and she's looking forward to some amenities of a bigger town. She wants to move to Rossville. It's no metropolis, but it's an hour from Topeka, Manhattan, or Lawrence. I want to so badly live in town because we have been driving an hour one way for a year and a half now and just be able to feel like we can relax because right now we don't get to relax. <laughs> for the Kansas News Service, I'm Blaze Mesa in Topeka. The Kansas News Service is a collaboration of KCUR, KMUW, Kansas Public Radio, and High Plains Public Radio. It reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. The wind energy industry in the U.S. has grown at a record pace in the past few years, with dozens of new wind farms across the Midwest. But with this growth comes a new challenge. What to do with old wind turbine blades when it's time to replace them? St. Louis Public Radio's Shayla Farzan reports a Missouri factory has found a new use for them. A flatbed tractor trailer rolls into a gravel parking lot in Louisiana, Missouri, about 90 miles north of St. Louis. Strapped to the back are what looks like two massive airplane wings. They're actually pieces of a wind turbine blade that weigh a combined 20,000 pounds, says Rose Collard. She's an environmental health and safety specialist at the Veolia North America plant, where we're standing now. This blade actually came from Messina, Iowa, and this is actually one of the biggest blades that we get. 
This small Missouri processing plant is the last stop for old wind turbine blades from across the country, from Texas to the Pacific Northwest. Most blades are built to last at least 20 years. Some from wind farms built in the early 2000s are nearing the end of their lifespan. Others are becoming obsolete as technology advances. And that has created a growing waste problem. By some estimates, there will be more than 40 million tons of wind turbine blades discarded worldwide by 2050. Some companies and researchers are looking for ways to repurpose turbine blades, but that can be challenging. You can make a park bench out of it or, or turn it into a swing set or, or something like that. But you can only do that so many times. Robert Cappadona is president and CEO of Veolia's Environmental Solutions and Services Group. The other option, he says, is recycling. But wind turbine blades are a mix of different materials, like fiberglass, resin, and wood, which makes them difficult to process. And Cappadona says these gigantic blades also have to be cut up into sections before they can be transported and recycled. Even that is a challenge because they're built to be incredibly durable. It's fiberglass, and you would think, how difficult can it be to cut? How difficult is it to cut concrete? That's how difficult it is to cut fiberglass. That takes a toll on the equipment. But despite those hurdles, workers at the Veolia plant in northern Missouri are recycling wind turbine blades, hundreds of them every month. Inside a cavernous warehouse, a series of gigantic shredding machines grind up the turbine blades into smaller and smaller pieces. Operations manager Michael Collard points to a pile of shredded blades. It looks like large pieces of broken up wood is the best description that I have. If you imagine uh, shaving all the bark off of a tree into little pieces, that's about the consistency of the first red wind blade material. The blades will eventually be ground down to a sawdust-like material, and machines will sort it by type. More than 70% of every blade is silica, a mineral used to make cement. About 80 tons of pulverized blades are shipped from this factory every day to cement manufacturers across the country. The rest of the wind turbine blade is used as fuel for the cement plants, replacing coal. Efforts like this to recycle wind turbine blades will become increasingly important in coming years, says wind technology engineer Derek Berry. We are seeing a near future where quite a few of those blades will be coming down from turbines and we have to look at you know, efficient ways to recycle or reuse those blades so as they don't end up in landfills. Barry is based at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory in Colorado. He says wind energy researchers worldwide are working to develop sustainable and cost-effective ways to recycle wind turbine blades. But they're also redesigning them, using different materials that can be recycled more easily. At the same time as we're handling the challenge that is posed to us by blades that are coming off towers now, uh, we're also changing our approach to the design and the manufacturing of wind turbine blades in the future to provide us ourselves with more options for recycling and reuse of blades at the end of their life. He says this rapidly expanding industry will likely need many more recycling centers to handle the discarded blades and keep them out of landfills. I'm Shayla Farzan. 
This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love, Trevor Grandin, and KCUR Studios, and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Blaze's story about rural foster parents and Shayla's story about recycling wind turbines, visit kcur.org, where you can find more news from Kansas and Missouri. If you like our show, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.